And we're going to look at the idea of what does Proverbs 22, 6 mean? What does the, that verse mean uh, tonight? We'll uh, explore that and some thoughts probably tonight and the next Sunday night. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, 6. Again, it's hard to say, well, what's the context? Because Proverbs doesn't have a lot of context except maybe the first eight chapters. They're kind of contextual. Otherwise, most of Proverbs are just isolated statements. Most of it is. And so uh, the Proverbs are sprinkled with advice on all kinds of things in life and truths and principles. And so here's the, here's the famous verse that we'll read, and then we'll look in Ephesians 6, 4. So notice again, it says Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And hold your place and look in Ephesians 6, 4. This is narrowed to the dads. Ephesians 6, 4, where it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The things that they have in common for both of these verses is the idea of child rearing, but in particular the words that they have in common is train up, and then you have bring up. It has the idea of they're down here, but you want to bring them up here. You want to see kids increase, as we've said in some of our messages, uh, go forward. And so let's look back in Proverbs 22, and this is what we'll reference tonight. We'll reference the verse, and we'll reference some other verses as well as we talk about this. In a nutshell, this is what I believe the verse means, and, and there's different views of the verse yeah, that people might have. In a nutshell, the Bible verse here where it says this, I believe what it's saying is, not, in a nutshell, it, is, it means it's a, it is possible to equip a child now for issues later in life. In other words, it's possible to get a child equipped right now for things that they will deal with later in life. It's talking about in the way they should go, and then it's talking about what they can do in the future. Um, when I was in ninth grade... When I was in ninth grade, I, I didn't even think there was a use for it. I think it was my mom that encouraged me to take the class. It was probably an elective in, high, in uh, junior high, but it was technically high school uh, grade. And the elective class was typing. And I thought, this is useless. What am I taking typing for? I'm not going to be a secretary. You know? And computers were just kind of coming on the scene, and I'm like, I didn't even care about computers unless there was a game. And so my mom's like, no, you should really take typing. It would be good. I'm like, oh, whatever. Okay, I'll take it. And I think it was like one semester. Uh, I don't even think it was a year. One semester of typing at Taylor Junior High in Mesa. And she, the teacher, taught us the home keys and taught us to, to, you know, to type without looking. And, and uh, usually still have to look for at least the numbers because it's a little more of a stretch. Uh, but they taught you the home keys. And then you just start going. They give you little assignments. You had a little thing that held up your page. And you go like this. And, and this was like... Uh, uh, you know, they wanted to see improvement. After a week or two, they want to see if you can type faster. How many words a minute can you type? I don't remember what mine was, but it wasn't impressive. But I, ba I learned basic typing. And then I did not use it after that. And it's not because I was trying to rebel against it. I just, I'm like, eh, I don't really need to type. I'll just handwrite. And uh, so 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, I really, maybe, maybe one time, in 10th grade, I really, otherwise I don't remember typing again. But then I got to college. And so after you have 10th grade, I was in, learned in 9th grade, and then I have 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, um, college, 
probably by my first or second semester of college, I had to type something. In 1992, 93, I had to type something. Oh, man, what am I going to do? I haven't typed for such a long time. Oh, and like, who has a typewriter? I think it was my grandparents. My mom's parents had a typewriter, and I went over to grandma and grandpa's, and, or maybe it was even the computer. I can't remember, but um, I'm like, oh, i got to type this paper, you know, so okay. And I sat down, and I went like this, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I think I can do this. I still got it. Oh, it was really slow, and, but I'm like, it came back to me, the, the home keys and a little, oh, that's where the L and the N, and there's the colon, and that shift, that, 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 and I was like, yeah, and I was still slow, but it came back to me because I had a little bit of time of training, and it didn't depart from me. Got a little, got a little uh, weak and unexercised, but it didn't depart from me what I was trained in, and uh, again, I'm not, don't think I'm, I can type fast, I can't, but there's a the basic muscle memories there. You know, some of you were taught how to swing a baseball bat early in life. <laughs> you know, and it's important to be taught properly, a proper stance, a proper swing, and the way you maneuver your hips even and keep your head in and all that. And if you're trained right, it'll stay with you. Even if you get old in arthritis, you're like, I can still do this. And you do it, and you're like, ah, ah, you know. And uh, But you have those things that you were taught early, even if sometimes you leave them off, it's like it's still in your muscle memory. There's some things like right now, let me see here. Uh, Grant, come here. So I was in ninth and 10th grade wrestling. I wasn't a great wrestler, but I learned some things. And so sometimes I've been dealing with nine kids. Come up to me. Come here. Get over here. Get over here, man. Look at that. Put this boy down. Now, in about a year, he'll be able to put me down. <laughs> so I've tried to teach him some, some uh, little wrestling moves. You know, I'm trying to teach him to go under the arm and go back around like that and take him down like this. And, I, but I, and he would be a good wrestler. I should really teach him stuff. So I was just trying to show people some moves, bud. And uh, you need to learn. I need to teach them to you so you can, you know, protect your older brothers. <laughs> so they might be looking for him for a bodyguard. He's got, got some girth to him. You know what was funny, though, is I, I literally remember, because I learned basic wrestling. Again, I wasn't a great wrestler, but I learned some stuff. And I'm like, man, this hasn't gone away. I still remember how to do the double leg takedown and turn a guy around and all these different things. I'm like, wow, I haven't forgotten that. Or, and then even when you're on the ground with somebody, how to get on them, keep them down, or turn them over and all that. And so it's funny, then when I was parenting after, like, Michael or Gideon, you know, we had Johanna, Michael, Gideon. And they were, they were a little, just getting them to, come over here, come on, get over here, get over here. And I'd be like, Doo! I'd turn them back around. And I wasn't hurting them, but I'm like, man, that was a wrestling move. I'm so glad my coach taught me that. I didn't realize I was learning how to parent, you know. <laughs> so, you know, some of these things stay with you, you know. Um, that had not departed from me. My dad taught me how to, to paint. And uh, to, to be honest, the actual part of painting is a very small percentage of the time of the whole job. But... But the actual art of, 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 of painting uh, is an art, and it depends on the gun, it depends on the type of paint, and the temperatures, and all that. There's a lot of variables. But he taught me how to paint, and I, he, I, he showed me. I never went to one class, except I went to California to a class to teach me a certain type of product, but I never went to one formal class. I spent time for whatever, from 1988 to 2008, full-time with my dad, pretty much. And he taught me how to paint and a lot of other things, and and so it, it's, still, it's still with me. I wouldn't be as good, but there's that, that's still with me. It was trained. Now, 
This is talking about that. You, the most optimal time to teach somebody pretty much anything is in childhood. The most optimal time to teach, childhood is the most optimal time to affect muscle memory. It's the most optimal time to affect speech habits, thinking processes, beliefs, your belief system, your value choices. It's optimal time. And I think that's what Solomon's saying is, hey, it, snag them right here, and it'll stay snagged to them as they get older. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So uh, for us, how can we... So as we look at this verse, and, and, and there's a part of it that I want to deal with that's probably a little more controversial. How do we approach parenting just in light of this verse right here? And, and that's what I'd like to discuss among us, for myself, for you, is discuss parenting. Actually, I shouldn't even just say parenting. It's affecting children because it doesn't even mention a parent if you look at it. It's just train up a child. It didn't say, oh, parent, train up a child. It just says, presuming an adult, train up a child. So if you are an adult and you have any influence on a child and you have any windows of time to affect them for any length, you can ingrain something for some length of time that they may not forget. I had a ninth grade typing teacher that did it for me. She wasn't my parent. I don't even remember her name. So, so what is this? So here's what we're going to talk about. I'll give you our discussion points from this text. We'll just look at probably three of them tonight. I think this text is showing us, first of all, and we're, this is the one we're going to deal with, that number one, this is a principle that is as good as their future choices. That's my first point. It's a principle that is good as their future choices. Number two, we need to discern training, the word training from the word inform or educate. Because it says train. Training needs to be discerned from just informing. Number three, the trainer needs to be trained. Wow. Uh, number four, why do we even need training? Why do children even need training? We'll probably get to that another time. Number five, the windowhood of childhood needs to be embraced. When I mentioned that. We need to embrace that window of childhood, that window of time. Number six, what are the particular areas that the typical child needs training in? Areas, excuse me, that we, this is what we talked about a couple times, Wednesday night and then last Sunday night about um, increasing, seeing kids increase. What is it that kids actually need training in? You know, it's crazy that they're... Uh, the schools are trying to do this stuff. Well, even 30 years ago, were, we were concerned about sex education in schools. And a lot of parents protested it. And, um, but now they're trying to do weird stuff, like the, the perverted training of the gay lifestyles and stuff like that. And a lot of people are making an uproar against it. They don't need that. They, I, I don't even know that there's, there's really very little, not too many excuses to have sex education even as long as a parent is in their life. Now, when a parent's not in their life, that's a different story. Somebody needs to help them. But there's things kids need to be trained on and not to be trained on. So here's a discussion point. What areas does a child need training in? Should they be trained how to talk and shake somebody's hand and work? Those are some of them. And then last of all, this verse is also telling us to consider the child's personality. Look what it says. Train up a child. It's talking about 
recognizing an individual kid and the way he, the individual child, should go. Now, there's general ways that every child should go. That's what we're going to talk about in one of the points. There's things that every child should learn, but there's things that that child should go, and that child needs to learn, and that child has certain giftings that I think we need to refine differently than my other child, the way he should go. So that's an aspect. Those are seven aspects of this verse that I think if we just kind of spend a little time on it, I think it'll help us as parents and as influencers of kids. I wanted to tell my mom, I've been tempted to call my mom and say, Mom, you know, because I have a hard time sometimes with my kids, you know. And uh, I've been tempted to call her up and say, Mom, I'm tired of training your grandkids. Would you just come pick them up? So, you can come pick them up now. Yeah, so. All right. Number one. This is a principle that is as good as the future choices. Okay. So this is, this is somebody might take differently. That's fine. I want to talk about this, kind of the gorilla in the room. Um, so it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the thought is, this is the thought that I wrestled with. It's like, if a kid from a Christian home grows up, grows up and does something bad, or does something bad for a long time, what's wrong with those parents? That was my thought for a long time. And it's possible that parents can contribute to problems in a child, definitely. But it makes me think they didn't train them in the way they should go. That may or may not be the case. Um, the, com the common impression is this. Once a child is trained, they'll never cease to practice. They'll never cease to practice what, you, what they were taught. Have you ever stopped practicing what you were taught? Yeah? You have bad parents? Have you ever stopped doing something good that your parent taught you to do? I have. I've at times stopped doing some good things that my parent taught me to do. Does that mean they're a bad parent, or does it mean I made bad choices? Because um, there's an interpretation that says, train up a child in the way he should go. That means even when he's old, he won't be departing from it. He'll never stop doing what you told him. And there's problems with that. Here's one Christian man. He's a good man. I'd probably have him preach in our church under the right circumstances. I, I highly respect him. I haven't had him here, in case you're wondering, but he said, when, a Christ, when Christian parents train their children to do right consistently and then live what they have taught consistently before them, their children will not depart from the way they were taught. And maybe as a general rule that's true, but here's the problem. Is God's parenting like that? Is God a parent? Tell me. Yep. To who? Yeah, there's Israel, we're his kids, right? Is he a parent to Israel or not? He called them his children. He's a parent to Adam and Eve at the beginning. They had perfect environment. Everything was perfect. And they chose something else. Uh, is the church, the called, are not the Christians called the children of God? Right? Are we the children of God? Yeah. By faith in Jesus, it says in Galatians. 
All right, so we're God's kids, and God's our parent. Follow me to Isaiah 11, pardon me, Isaiah 1. I'm just trying to test and interpret. We can't go much further until we kind of clear something here. Isaiah chapter 1. All right, verse, three, verse 2, Isaiah 1. Verse, this is how the, one of the greatest prophets starts out. Isaiah 1. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. All right, so the, it's like, hey, everybody listen to this. God's spoken. Here's what God comes out and says. I have nourished and brought up children. Now, who are those children? Israel. I have nourished and brought up children. And what happened? They have rebelled against me. Well, what kind of parent is God then? Must be a pretty bad parent. No. They had everything they could have. They had miracles. They had covenant. They had perfect land. They had the prophets and teachers. They nourished them. He brought them up. He gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. And he, and he warned them and he was patient with them. And, and sometimes they repented and followed. Sometimes they stayed following. Sometimes they didn't. And at this point in Isaiah, it says, they have, they have rebelled against me in, light, in spite of his parenting. So, um, so here's my question. Is God, so then, so if we look at Proverbs 22, 6, it's not, I'll just say, I don't think it's saying that everything is up to the parent. I don't think it means that. Because if it's saying everything's up to the parent, then God is holding us to a higher standard than himself. Because then God can be at fault for Israel. God could be at fault for every Christian who was well taught and in a good church that didn't follow him. But I think it's just, I think it's saying that it's a principle that we can affect kids early on to where they can still have it as they're older. And Because here's what I'm trying to say. Whatever the verse means, here's the, here's the point. Whatever the verse means, it can't mean something that contradicts something else in the Bible. That's what I'm saying. It can't. You can't say it means that it means it's up to the... Because I've had preachers literally beat a pulpit and basically say that if it's um, a child goes one way or another, then... The parent didn't do something. And that maybe the parent could. What parent? Tell me a parent in here says, I don't regret anything. I did everything perfect. Anybody like that? Every parent could say, I want to do it again. Well, maybe. But I know I could do something better again. You know, it's like that, right? So I've heard where it's like, no, they should have did this. And it would have turned out better. God's a perfect parent. And sometimes people follow him. Sometimes people don't. He made Adam and Eve. And they, they, they left them off. Israel sometimes did, sometimes didn't. The parenting of God wasn't the problem. Parenting of God is a, the, the biggest influence. But, okay, so whatever it means, it can't contradict Scripture, whatever the rest of Scripture. Uh, even other parenting in the Bible. Solomon had a good dad, I believe, in David. David and then Solomon. Even in the Proverbs, Solomon's talking to his son, who probably didn't turn out too bad. It was, may have been Rehoboam, the one. And, and, and Solomon said, hey, son, 
listen to me, hearken to the voice of your father. And uh, for I was my father's son, tender and only beloved inside of my mother, and he taught me also and said unto me, get wisdom, forsake it not. And he's saying these things, Solomon's saying these things to his son, being in the middle from referring to his dad who taught him. And taught him all the right ways. And then what did Solomon do? I mean, um, so here you have, here you have, David. In fact, look at the life of David. You don't have to do it now, but later on, I think it's in one of the prayers. If you follow David, David's getting old, and he's like, man, God's not going to let me build a temple, but mm, I'm going to lay up some, I'm going to start stashing gold and silver and all kinds of stuff. And he basically had the whole lumber yard ready for um, materials, ready for Solomon who would build it. And so when, when he was dying, he said, Solomon, listen, know thou the God of thy fathers and don't forsake him. Follow him. And he said, and he prayed to God. David, I don't know the verse, but David prayed to God that God would give him a, a, a perfect heart. That means the whole heart. God, Solomon, or David prayed that Solomon would have a perfect heart and follow the Lord. And you know what? Solomon had a perfect heart and followed the Lord in building the temple and for a while, <laughs> right? And then he left off having a perfect heart and set in 1 Kings 11, 4 says his heart was not perfect later on in life <coughs> because he loved many, whatever, strange wives and did all kinds of crazy stuff and was accommodating his pagan wives and these other things he was doing. And so um, certain kings also set aside good influence like, you think about, isn't it weird you have like kings like Hezekiah and Josiah, and some of them had a bad dad, and they turn, they're good, and then some of them are really good, and they have a bad son. You go, what's going on here? Now, I remember Brother Getch, John Getch Sr., when he came to my house, when he first came here, he said, um, he was eating, he was eating lunch at our house, and, I, and uh, I showed him a little commentary I had from a guy that wrote a commentary on Proverbs. And he's looking, and he's going right to Proverbs 22.6, and he's reading it, and he goes, hmm, he just was thinking. And then he closed it and said something, and then what, he didn't make any comment. I said, well, what are you, he goes, what are you looking at? He goes, I'm looking at Proverbs 22.6. I've always pondered that verse. You know, and by the way, his kids, good kids. We've had his youngest preach here before, the other sons of Pastor in Yuma, he's got uh, another son and a daughter. Anyways, uh, he's got a good family himself. But he goes, I've always pondered that verse. He says, and he goes, one time I was on a plane, and I was, and he, again, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Bible preacher. He's got a doctorate. He's in the Bible. He's, you know, vice president of a school. And um, he says, I was on a plane, and I was sitting there, and there was a guy that was a rabbi sitting next to me. A Jewish rabbi. So this guy knows Hebrew, and he goes, I want to talk to him. And, he's like, and he got talking. He goes, you know what? Can you tell me? Open your Hebrew Bible and tell me what that says in Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He says, what does that mean, that part, he will not depart from it? And the Jewish rabbi, you know, kind of having the flavor, the Hebrew flavor there, these guys because it's rich. The Hebrew and the Greek are just a little more rich than what we know. He says it means he can't not depart from it. means he can't get away from it. He can't get away 
from what he was trained. That's what it's saying. I'm like, that's interesting. So the idea here is that, <clears throat> so kids, listen up. Our, all the parents in here, we're trying our best to teach you. And, and non-parents, teachers trying to influence you and, and instill in you and ingrain in you. And um, you may learn a good golf swing and then put it off later in life. <laughs> you know, you may learn some other good things and choose to put it off later in life. We hope you don't. Part of what we're trying to influence is your values. Make sure that you say, this is my belief too. That would be the, the best thing. But you're going to choose that or not. But it'll be stuck with you in some way in conscience. Can't get away from it. So it's a principle as good as their future choices. That's what I believe. Number two, and then, uh, so let's go to the next thing. So it says train. So we need to discern train from inform. Inform them or train them. The world, the world today in our nation today emphasizes education. Education, we just need more money for education. If it weren't for those evil Republicans getting in the way of our education. And they're always crying about And some, probably Arizona does need more money for education. We've got teachers here that are not making enough. But people think that the solution to everything in life is just more money, more, edu- more money for education, you know. And they think that's going to solve everything. But you can have an educated criminal. Did you know that? With lots of degrees. And the Bible here is not just merely saying educate. It's talking about influence. It's not just tell a child, train a child. The word train means to instill, to equip, to ingrain. Again, to instill, equip, ingrain. Some of, anybody ever in martial arts? Anybody learn karate or any martial arts? All right. Two? Anybody else? I got two. All right. Okay. So there's probably still some moves you'd be like, oh, oh yeah, got a few moves there. Oh, I might pull a muscle, but it was ingrained in you. <laughs> Rusty's going to use it on somebody. Anyways. <laughs> it's ingrained. So train means to ingrain. All right. Discern train from inform. Some, some, it's one thing to inform. It's another thing to involve. Right? I could sit there and tell Noah, Noah, listen, and I, I say, um, this is how you build. He's been telling me, Dad, when are we going to build a, what do we need to build in the backyard again? A fort or something? Playhouse? Man, I need to get to this one of these days. And I could say, Noah, this is what you do. Um, you get some two-by-fours, and they're real expensive now. And sorry about that. Anyways, you get some two-by-fours, and, and then you get some uh, nails and hammers and saws. And you cut the two by fours in a certain way. You gotta have ninety degree angles or forty five degree angles on some of the joints, and you gotta make put uh, put up the walls and make some trusses for to hold up the. He's looking at me like what? What? Hold up the the roof and get some thing. And I could start telling him and telling him and telling him. Maybe even show a few pictures. But you know what he'd really like is just take me with you, Dad. Let's do this. And like okay, now grab that. Okay, now grab that. And then just start and start doing the process together. Inform versus. In, it's involving versus just informing. It's, we wanna, it's, it's doing life versus just downloading facts of life. Do life, not just download the facts. I gave them these books. I get, they went through this class. They got a certificate from this seminar. Great. What are they doing and what are you involving your kid with? It's mentoring, not just making facts and uh, go through their ears. Um, it's uh, not just an info dump. It's involvement. 
It's coaching. It's re repeating even, repetition. Train has the idea of, all right, let's make a rut here. Um, the Bible says, Ephesians 6, 5 says, bring them up in the nurture. It takes some effort, takes some involvement. Bring them up. That has the idea of involvement and connection. I thought about this idea. Okay, so let's think of this as parents and, and kid teachers. If we all died, maybe in the next, so we got five more years. Pretend we all just died in five years. Actually, let's just pretend we all died right now. What would our kid know, what, know to do? Make PBJ? Okay, that's good, but... Um, but what would they know? What would they have like, you know what, I remember mom and dad. You know, sometimes it happens to kids whose parents die a little earlier than they, they all of a sudden they're like, my dad's gone. And then they start thinking of all the things their dad's done. They tend to uh, embrace it a little bit. I'm not saying we should all die early, but I'm saying sometimes kids think, what, what was I taught? You know? All right, I'm going to show you something. This is kind of funny. My wife didn't know I was going to do this, and I'm not going to read all of them. <laughs> I won't read all of them. It's very kind of tailored to our family, a little personal. So uh, Susie gave Deb, I don't know what year this was. Susie gave Deb a, a Mother's Day card here one year, big one. I think she plagiarized, so I think some of these came from another <laughs> card. But uh, 20 things mom has taught us. <laughs> 20 things. And she has 20 of them, and I'll, I'll read a few of them to you. Again, 20 things that mom, Susie and... The Henry kids' mom taught us. She's taught us to appreciate a job well done. Quote, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. <laughs> it teaches you to appreciate a job well done. Uh, religion taught us that. Quote, you better pray that will come out of the carpet. <laughs> she taught us logic. Because I said so, that's why. All right, there's some funny ones. I, I, I taught him this too. It's not just my wife. She taught us irony. You keep crying, and I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> All right, here, let me see. Move along here. Um, for Susie, this is particular for Susie. She taught her safety. She'd say, no, you're taking John or Jim with you if you're going somewhere. Um, taught us math. You keep whining, and you're getting double. So... <laughs> <laughs> There's another story to that, too. Uh, okay, uh, apologize. She taught us apologizing. Go give them a hug and say you're sorry. All right. Uh, it taught us time management. If your room isn't clean in 20 minutes, you're not watching a movie. <laughs> Whoa, we better get moving here. And she taught us peace. I'm taking a nap. Don't come out unless it's, unless it's an emergency. And I didn't read all of them, but here's the... And number 20, she taught us love. I love you, even if you don't love me back. That's good. That's good right there. So, you know, um, so Deb and I, we try to say those things and work them in by action. And we do repeat them and show them and exemplify them. Um, I remember Deb was uh, being... When we first had, let's see, yeah, it would have been the four in Chandler. So we lived in Chandler or near Dobson in Elliott area. And um, Deb, young mom, of course, having our first four, she was mid to late 20s, I think, after Susie was born. And um, 
So lived in Chandler, you know, and she had to get those, those four. They were pretty close in age, too. Get them trained. I wasn't around. I mean, I was, I was less accessible than I am. I'm a little more accessible now. I was less accessible then being at the shop. And uh, I remember she just had it down. I went on a walk with her before with the kids, and she had them down on, you know, you have Michael, Joe, Gideon. Susie is probably in a stroller at the time. And we're like, we're going to the park. We're going to walk to the park. And so Deb would get them out, and she'd be pushing Susie in the stroller. And Michael, Joe, and Gideon would, would run to the corner. I mean, it'd be like, you know, from here maybe to that fence. And they'd just wait there right at the corner. I remember the first time walking with her, I'm like, man, that's pretty good. They were just waiting there for us. She said, yeah, I told them to stay there, you know. I don't know if she used one of these tactics that we had in here to help, but, you know, she, she and they're like, that's pretty good. And then we'd get to the corner. They'd wait and wait, get to the corner. And then they'd start running again. They'd wait at the next corner. Come on, mommy. You know, that's Johanna's voice. Come on, mommy. And, uh, and then she'd get up, and they'd go to the next. And she, I just thought, oh, that's pretty good. She's pretty good training them, you know. And, then, and that's a good thing. By the way, that's good for life is kids, it's important that you learn to follow your parents' voice. Their voice is not like it's, um, it, it, it's training you to follow God's voice, okay? Think of Samuel. He was so used to yielding to Eli that God's like, I'm a guy, I, this is my kind of kid. Samuel, Samuel. And so he kept running to Eli, running to Eli, and then, and then Sam, Eli says, no, say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And so then he began to yield to God's voice. That's what we want to do as parents is yield to our voice, yield to our voice. Um, and we're training you because eventually we're training you in the way you should go. The way you should, should go one day is without my voice. I don't, I'm going to transfer myself from being authority to counselor. There's a transference of role. And I want to train you to follow God's voice by let's get, let's get that down with ours now. That's why, kids, it's important to follow your parents' voice, even if it's like, well, I don't want to do that. Do what they said. Do what they said. They're training you one day when it's like, I'm getting out of the house. All right, go. There's another voice that's going to, you need to yield to the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. You need to follow that one. And you'll, it won't be as hard to follow God's voice when you're accustomed to following your parents' voice. So training and not just informing and it involves intimate involvement in their life. There's more things I could say here. Um, number three, let the train. This is the last point. We'll just do this one. Then we'll pick it up next week. The trainer, parents or teachers, let the trainer be trained. That's our third point. Let the trainer be trained. Now, have you ever had to coach? How many of us have been coaches? I know we have some. Coaches, coaches. Man, when you go to be a coach, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You gotta kind of refresh yourself on the sport you're doing, you know, and some plays. You gotta kind of like refresh, train yourself again. Well, as parents and as those that influence kids, we gotta wait, wait a minute. These kids, they just don't control their language. All right, I'm gonna make sure you control yours. Let the trainer train himself or herself. These kids, they just have bad tempers. Well, let's make sure we're reining our temper in. The trainer needs to train him or herself. You know, Jesus says the disciple is not above the master. There's master, that is the mentor, and the, mentor, the one being mentored. 
the parent, the child, the disciple, the learner is not going to be above the master. In other words, this is what I realized as a parent. I can't expect my kids to be, they, if they are, it's a blessing. I can't expect it for my kids to be more spiritual than me. Now, I'm hoping I'm spiritual. I can't my kids, my, expect my kids to be more mature or more patient than me or more reined in on their temper than me. I can't expect it. So if they're that way, for one, i got to have myself reined in and trained myself and expect that they're probably going to be under me. And I'm neat. that's the idea. Bring them up. Bring them up. I can't be like, why aren't you, you know, you have to realize that they're down here. We're bringing them up. We're bringing them up. And so not be so disappointed that they're not like where you are or above you. They're still a child, even when they might have voting rights <laughs> in some ways. Their brain's still developing. Let the trainer be trained. Never expect your kids to be more sensible, mature, or adult-like than you. Uh, a few things. We need to, I need to train myself to be self-disciplined. The Bible says it. Look in Proverbs 25, 28. Probably a page over. I got to discipline myself. Proverbs 25, 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. See, one of the biggest challenges of, of parents and even teachers is like, i got to get rule over these kids. we got to get rule over these kids. We've got to rein them in, discipline these kids. And that's true. But the Bible says if you don't have rule over your own spirit, you're vulnerable too. And i got to rule my spirit. i got to rule my attitude. we got to rein in on our anger and on our passions and on our volume, you know, all that stuff. The trainer needs to be trained. Now, again, I, I want to do it so that I can... Be effective with the kids. Proverbs, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, we referred to this this morning, where Paul says, I have to keep under my body and bring it to subjection, lest when I have preached to, to others, I would be a castaway. All right, so let's do that. We have to set a good example. Another thing is train myself by setting a good example. Be an example of the believer. I think it's 1 Timothy 4.12. Be an example of the believer in word and conversation and faith and purity and charity in spirit. I need to be listening to God and commune with Him. I want my kids to listen to me. You listen to me. You need to listen to my voice. Yeah, and that's true. But I got to be like, wait a minute. I need to listen to God's voice. You need to communicate with me. I need to communicate with God. He's my father. Am I a bad boy? I need to listen to Him. He's my father. I'm His son. You're His daughter, ladies. I need to be communing and following the Lord and be a good child and so that I know kind of the thing that I can expect from them and be a good example. The trainer needs to be trained. Be close to your daddy in heaven. He'll help you with your kids too. And so, I don't know if this was a good deal or not. Maybe this is bad parenting, but I just was like, you know, I we do spanking and... Um, we use a, a, a wood rod, hopefully not that frequently. The Bible talks about using a rod. Nothing, uh, not metal, not plastic, just a wood rod. And uh, when it's necessary, in an appropriate place, try not to embarrass them, trying to cause a big scene, don't do the Walmart thing, the carousel spanking, I told you, none of that, none of that, none of that. Uh, but, you know, we try to... <laughs> We got, there's a lot we could we could have a whole thing about spankings if we want, but we we do that and um, hmm, man, yeah, this is a lot that happened. A lot. There's some weeks where I'm like, boy, I'm getting a lot of spankings from this one. He's always getting it, and so 
And it, it always makes us rethink, okay, wait a minute, are we, are we approaching this right? Or do we need to, you know, talk to them a little differently? Or what are we doing different? Maybe a different type of a, a punishment. And sometimes we'll change up our punishments. And, but a lot of times when I'm spanking, it's just more of like, tone down yourself. Be very matter-of-fact, plain, and like getting a spanking. Almost stoic. Like, <laughs> Sorry, you're going to spank and you broke the law. Wages of sin is spanking. You know. And that helps when I tone myself down. And uh, so, but one time, one of the boys, like, he's going to get a spanking. He got in trouble. He did something. And I couldn't find a spanking stick. And what's funny is, so, anybody else have spanking sticks in the house? Am I the only one? Okay. All right, a couple. So we have, we'll have the rod. We get a dowel rod from uh, Home Depot. Um, oh, I got to tell you this funny story. I think I told you before. When we were in Colorado last year, the year before, we didn't have a spanking stick in the van. So I'm like, all right, we're going to Ace Hardware or something. And uh, <laughs> my, I guess it's not, I guess we're not too bad if my boys want to go in with me to buy the spanking stick. Dad, I want to go. Okay, okay, go ahead, come on in. All right, so they're coming in, and I'm looking for a spanking stick and Maybe it was because the other bad boy in the, the car, they were anxious to get him. I don't, I don't know. Anyways, because uh, <laughs> there's four of them, you know, at the time. So we go in there, and I'm like, okay, you get this one. It's about as thick as my pinky, about that long, and I usually try to sand the edges around it so it's nothing sharp, just smooth, but does the sting, doesn't leave anything long-term, just kind of awakens the conscience, and the, you know. Uh, rod and reproof give wisdom, wake them up, you know. Um, so anyways, I... I uh, I got that in there, and I came over to the front. <laughs> I came over to the desk, and my, it was like, no, I grant or something. And the lady's like, oh, is this how you're getting? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, and she looks at the boy. She goes, are you guys doing a craft? And they're like, they're just like, <laughs> they're just like, and I'm like, you're doing a craft, are you? And I go, no, it's just something else. And they're just like, <laughs> I almost want, that's nothing, just, you know. And so we just moved, just buy it. Let's just <laughs> she probably be like, what are they doing, you know? <laughs> so, anyways, you know, one time we were, one time Gideon was with us and he was being good. It was one of the other younger, one of the other four boys. We were like in Globe. We were going on a family vacation and, and, uh, and uh, we stopped in Globe. One of the boys was being bad. Oh, you know, and we just, all right, we're time out. Everybody go to the front part of the, I don't know if it was the Astro van at the time, maybe even. Whatever. So we went to, the, and, I, and I go to the back after deal, and Gideon was like, Dad, Dad, he's a police officer. He's right over there. I'm like, I don't really care. Tell him I'm saving him some work, you know. You know? So he said, he won't have to deal with this kid one day in the future. So that's what I said. But one time, that's what I told our chief of police that for Gilbert one time. I'm like, listen, uh, his name was Tim something. He's not the chief. I saw him at a meeting, and we see him a couple times a year. I said, hey, I just want you to know I'm doing my part. I'm teaching our church, discipline our kids. We're saving you guys some work, you know. And it's true, you know. Um, again, and I don't mean to detract. Uh, discipline is a little more of a different subject than this particular part of training. I guess discipline's part of training, but I just wanted to tell you this, too. Just, um, so one of the boys, so I was like, I can't find the spanking stick, and, 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 and he was in trouble. And some t- usually the other one's like, I'll find one. I'll find one. You know, they're looking all over and in the van and under the stairs and the bed. And I couldn't find one. So finally, man, I can't find one. And I'd, I, I don't want to just use it. I'm not just make rash. I don't want to be rash. Just grab something, you know. That's not good. Uh, so I was like, okay. The infraction 
was bad. It wasn't like heavily, severely bad. So I said, listen, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you a discount. If you find a spanking stick, I, this is the criminal. I said, the one son, I said, if you find this spanking stick, I'll, I'll, take, I'll give you a discount on the spanking You'll get one less. And he's like, all right. And he's looking for the spanking stick, you know. And uh, he never found it, so he didn't get a discount. We found it in the closet, so. But I, I don't know if that's the way to do it, but you know what? That's, yeah. Anyways. So, all right. So, so, so we want to we train our kids, and we'll talk about some more things. Again, let me just say this. I'll say a few things and try to wrap it up. We want to talk about the idea of, of um, windowhood of childhood. You know, this is an impressionable time. We want to talk about that n- the next time. Why do they kids need training? I'll just tell you real quick. Because of immaturity, uh, because of ignorance, and because of iniquity. Those three things are why you need to be trained. Immaturity, iniquity, that means your sin, and ignorance. You are ignorant. Uh, and then no, number five, win what areas. And number seven, we need to learn to recognize a child's personality as we're training them. Sometimes you can't be teaching somebody who's made to be, you know, that's made to, that's made to run to try to fly. You know, if your child's a, uh, um, if your child's, has the gift that a horse would have. Don't think that he's a, a bird in that sense. Like there's certain giftings that we need to understand as we're training our kids. And so we'll deal with that next time.